0: Hi, this is Nate Adams, your guest host for this season of the Service Business Mastery Podcast. I want to thank Tersh for handing over the microphone. He thought that the content here would be valuable to you as HVAC company owners. Um, And this time, we're going to be diving into the second part of the first chapter of the Home Comfort Book. So this chapter is called Home Comfort 101, and in this section, we're going to talk about a couple of very important topics. So the first one is the stack effect. That is what drives air leakage in homes, and it's a really important thing to understand as you're trying to solve comfort problems in client homes. The second main piece here is mean radiant temperature. That is the average of the surface temperatures around us, and radiance is 60% of the comfort equation. So if you aren't really familiar with mean radiant temperature, you literally are missing out on over half of the comfort equation. We'll also talk about how more R value is not necessarily that big of a deal. And then we'll talk about hitting tipping points with houses and how to avoid the gulf of disappointment and land in the sea of success. So I hope you enjoy this part And I'll catch you on the other side. This is part two of Home Comfort 101, a complimentary chapter of the Home Comfort book. We're starting on page 31, and I'm Nate Adams, the author. Stack Effect in winter. There's a figure here that shows how cold air comes in at the bottom of your house and warm air goes out the top. And the taller your house is, the more pressure there is on the bottom and the top. Cold air enters the bottom of the house and rises through air leaks. The top and bottom of the house have the highest pressures and are most important to seal. Winter is easy to understand when it comes to stack effect, because we're used to thinking about warm air rising. Summer, on the other hand, is a bit mind-blowing. This is where the rule about hot going to cold comes into play. On a 90-degree day, an attic might hit 140 to 150 degrees Fahrenheit. Attic ventilation isn't as big of a deal as you think here, as shingle color and type usually is the biggest driver of attic temperature. See this Florida Solar Energy Center study on attic ventilation for more, and I will make a link to the links on the video. That 140 degree hot air in the attic wants to go somewhere cooler. Your air-conditioned house right below it is about 75 degrees. Heat moves faster with larger temperature and pressure differences. So it's in a real hurry to get into your house through any gaps or cracks. If you look at these diagrams you understand why the upstairs is more comfortable in winter and the basement is more comfortable in summer. In this video Larry Janeski of Dr. Energy Saver does a great job demonstrating the stack effect with his blower door gauge. So you can actually google that, Larry Janeski, Dr. Energy Saver, and stack effect. On the opposing page here, there is a diagram of summer stack effect, which is where the heat actually enters from the top of the house through the leaks in your attic and pushes down and then out through the bottom of your house, be that on a slab, a crawl space, or a basement. If there is a spot in your attic where insulation is missing, perhaps at your attic hatch, Heat rushes down through the drywall, radiation and conduction, and through the leaks around the edge of the hatch, convection. Try standing under your attic hatch on a hot day. You'll probably notice that your head feels hot. That's radiant energy coming down through the attic hatch. That hot hatch may be enough to increase the mean radiant temperature in that room to make the room feel much hotter even if the air temperature is the same as other rooms. Air also leaks into your living space through any air leaks in the attic. Some leaks are very small, such as the top plates. Top plates are the boards that make up the top of a wall. They usually have drywall screwed to each side, but the top of the board is exposed. You can see them in the attic in most homes and they tend to be leaky. Because they're at the top of your house, they have a lot of pressure on them, so even small leaks matter. I'll illustrate with a client home. Real world example with leaky top plates. So on the left, I have a photo in infrared of the wall of a client home pre-project. So the blower door is running, And there's a lot of cold in blue coming down from the attic around the return vent and through the return vent. This is indicative of leaky top plates. On the right, there's a standard photo, a visible spectrum photo, and you can't tell that anything's wrong. So blue is cold and bad in this case because the photo was taken in cold weather. The interior wall was wildly leaky. You can see the cold blue air rushing downwards as the blower door, which is on, sucks it into the house. On the lower part of this page, there are two photos. The one on the left shows the air-sealed top plates, so spray foam has been applied to the tops of all the walls. and In this case, it's pretty obvious because they're spaced about three feet apart. This is a hallway. On the right side is an infrared picture of the same spot where the return vent is and where before you saw massive temperature differences showing lots of leakage. Now everything is the same temperature. It's a boring infrared photo. So this is the same spot after being air sealed. It's a very boring infrared picture. Just what we want. There are no warm or cold spots. You can see from how even the temperatures are that we licked the problem with air sealing. The client reports comfort levels in his office going from a three out of 10 to a nine out of 10. To diagnose this problem, you really need a blower door running on a fairly hot or cold day and an infrared camera. Everything else is just guesswork. In summer, pressure pushes from the attic into the house. So just like in a boat, a small leak at the bottom of the boat is a big deal. Same thing with your house at both top and bottom. Typical leaks at the top and bottom of your house are around chimneys, plumbing stacks, drop ceilings and bathrooms, basement rim joists, and so forth. And they are important to find and fix. I will have an air sealing guide coming up in the future. The warmth then travels downwards towards the bottom of the house. In homes with basements or crawlspaces, the air coming into the house from the attic leaks back outside through any gap it can find in the basement or crawlspace wall. In slab homes, the colder air seeks any path it can find where the wall touches the floor, then escapes to the great outdoors. If your air conditioner won't keep up or keep the house comfortable in the summer, The first thing to tackle is usually air sealing and insulating the attic. Unfortunately, we find this often leads to unsatisfactory results because now the air conditioner is wildly oversized. It cools the first floor just fine where the thermostat is. The thermostat reaches the temperature you set it at, which is known as being satisfied, and shuts off the air conditioner. The AC didn't run long enough to push cool air all the way upstairs, leaving the second floor cooking. Because of this, true comfort often requires new HVAC equipment. This is why it's a good idea to figure out your air sealing and insulation plan before buying a new air conditioner or furnace. Otherwise, you may be buying new HVAC again. We rip out quite a few furnaces and air conditioners that are less than five years old. Plan first so you can avoid that expensive mistake. To reiterate, the better you can air seal a house, particularly at the top and bottom, the more you can reduce the stack effect. The more you can reduce the stack effect, the easier your house is to control. The easier the house is to control, the easier it is to make comfortable. And when your home is comfortable, everyone is happy. Everything is interrelated. You'll find that theme throughout this book. Next, it's time to show how reducing the stack effect and having the right HVAC system are interrelated. It's a brick house. So there's a chart here, a little illustration of a house. So in the morning, it's a brick house The brick walls are at 70 degrees and the roof is at 70 degrees. Everything is cooled off. In the afternoon, the brick's up to 85 and the roof is up to 125. And then in the evening, the brick is up to 95 and the roof is up to 140. So now the house is sweltering. Think about a brick house with uninsulated walls on a hot, sunny summer day. The sun beats on the brick radiation and warms it up. The brick gradually transfers that heat through the wall until the inside wall is warm conduction. The heat gain into the house is at its worst level in the late afternoon and early evening because the Sun has been beating on the house all day. It's bad timing because it happens to be just as you get home from work a bit tired. Right before dinner, you sit down at your desk to pay bills against the south wall that the sun has been beating on all day. The wall is warm because heat from the brick conducted through it. Even sitting two feet away from the wall, you feel slightly uncomfortable, but you don't know why. The reason is there are hot spots on the wall that are pushing interior surface temperatures to over 90 degrees through radiation. Even though the air in the air-conditioned room is at 70 degrees, which is convection removing heat. The warm wall may make you feel hot and tired even though your home is air-conditioned. Mean Radiant Temperature, or MRT. There's a figure here that shows a fellow sitting at a desk and there's heat radiating through the hot attic and through the hot wall because they're not insulated. The oversized air conditioner is not running even though the temperature is at 70 degrees. But the humidity, because the air conditioner is not running enough, is at 70% relative, which is unhealthy and uncomfortable. The problem with where you're sitting to pay bills is one of mean radiant temperature. Mean radiant temperature is the average temperature of all the surfaces around us. If there are any hot spots on the walls or ceiling during a hot day, we're likely to be uncomfortable. Our bodies like an average temperature to be around 70 to 75 degrees with low to moderate humidity. There's moisture again. When surface temperatures get above 80 degrees or so, we start to feel hot. Our bodies can't give off heat quickly enough to stay cool. Warm walls may be nice in winter, but not on a hot day while paying bills. In this example, the walls and attic are leaky and uninsulated, so the heat just comes right through, especially in the evening after the sun has been beating on them all day. When the air conditioner is running, it blows cool air against the walls and ceilings and cools them off. The problem is when the AC is too big, it doesn't run much. It's called short cycling and means it doesn't cool surfaces well. Hot spots remain. Mean radiant temperature, or MRT, stays high, and you feel hot, even though the thermostat says 72. Also, an AC has to run for a while before it begins dehumidifying. If it short cycles, it doesn't dehumidify well. And that leaves you feeling clammy. If your AC is right-sized, it will run a lot longer. Then it will constantly wash the walls, ceilings, and floors of your home with cool air. That leads to better MRT. It also does a lot more dehumidification. Both lead to better comfort. Oversize is bad, Mm okay? Still not convinced? Check out the HVAC 102 chapter for more. That is in the paid book only. MRT and controlled cooling. The reason mean radiant temperature is so key to comfort is that your body is always trying to get rid of heat. It makes more than it needs. Human comfort is all about how fast the body dumps heat. Too quickly, and we say we're cold. Too slowly, and we say we're hot. Just right, and we don't even think about it. Human comfort is all about controlled cooling, 24-7, 365. Cool surfaces actually suck radiant energy out of us. Think about a plate glass window on a cold day. You don't want to sit next to it. It literally sucks the heat out of you. 60% of heat transfer from our bodies is radiant, so MRT is the most important comfort factor. When surfaces are warm, They don't pull radiant heat from us as quickly. If they're warm enough, they push heat back at us. If the house is at all humid, your sweat also can't evaporate quickly enough and cool you. If surfaces get too warm and humidity gets too high, you end up overheating since your body can't cool fast enough. Thermostat wars ensue. If all walls, ceilings, and floors in your home have similar temperatures, you're likely to be much more comfortable than if there are hot spots. A few hot spots probably won't kill you, but the fewer the better. It's not just the average of the temperatures, it's also about how extreme the highs and lows are. Even surface temperatures in the mid 70s equals good mean radiant temperatures. Here is what good mean radiant temperature looks like the wall and ceiling are well air sealed and insulated so heat doesn't come into the house quickly. The right-sized air conditioner is running and cooling all the room surfaces, evening out temperature differences and reducing humidity. You are almost happy paying bills. There's a figure here showing the same space, but now it has an insulated and air-sealed walls and ceiling, and the heat can't come in very quickly. So cool air from the right size A.C. is blowing and keeping the walls cool and humidity low, which keeps you cool too. And now the room, instead of being at 70 degrees, is at 76 degrees, but the humidity is much lower at 45%. So there's cool air moving, there's no hot spots, and you can be comfortable at a higher temperature and lower humidity real-world example. This is a cathedral ceiling that was completely uninsulated during a renovation project. It was a warm day when this infrared photo was taken. Yellow in the image is warm. Cool is blue. Since the studs are cooler, it shows there is no insulation over the ceiling. With all that yellow, the average surface temperature, or MRT, is very high. Comfort was miserable at this moment. It felt like the sun was shining on my head, which in effect, it was. This is the same space after insulation and air sealing. Note that the studs are the warm part now, which means there is more insulation on the ceiling. There's one small air sealing miss above the fan. Misses can happen, particularly in a rushed or complicated project. The roof on this house was torn off, spray foam was applied between the rafters, and the roof then reinstalled, all on the same day. Misses like the one shown here are why I like to come back the next day to test for leaks and fix them. In this case, the mist was small enough it won't badly affect mean radiant temperature. The MRT in this room is now far better. The clients report a massive improvement in how comfortable the room is. Want to read more? It's the 1970s two-story case study at energysmartohio.com. MRT in winter. In winter, the opposite applies. One hot spot can make us pretty comfortable. Think about how nice it is to be next to a bonfire on a cold day. That single radiant heat source is enough to take the edge off the cold. In an older house with uninsulated walls... The wall surfaces tend to be cold, which is radiant heat being sucked out of your body, even if the air temperature is warm, which is convection. Because of MRT problems, older homes usually need to run higher air temperature set points on the thermostat to feel comfortable. My in-law's tight 2008 house is comfortable at 71 to 72 degrees. But my own 1835 home needs to be at 74 to feel good. The higher air temperature raises the mean radiant temperature of the room. But even there, uneven surface temperatures may make some rooms feel uncomfortable. The Home Comfort 102 chapter, once it's complete, dives deeper into the subject. And there are a bunch more factors that affect comfort beyond MRT, Although MRT is probably the single most important factor. How to improve mean radiant temperature. I already touched on it, but improving MRT has the same formula as almost everything else. It's the five priorities, air sealing times three, insulation, and the right HVAC. Air sealing reduces hot or cold outside air from getting into the house and warming or cooling indoor surfaces. Insulation slows heat down as it moves in or out through the walls, ceiling, and floors. Finally, a multiple-stage, carefully-sized and optimized HVAC system with sealed and right-sized ductwork slowly moves cool air around in summer, which is convection-controlling radiation, to reduce those hot spots and even out the average surface temperature. In winter, the furnace or heat pump slowly moves warm air around in just the right amount to warm up the walls, floors, furnishings, and ceilings of your home. A really important note here. If your house feels cold, turn it up. 68 is cold for almost everyone. Bump the temperature a degree at a time. 69 may be comfy, or 70, or even 72. Figure out what is comfortable, live with it for a month, and see what your energy bill does. If you have a reasonably efficient home, it may not cost much. If you have a leaky home, it may come with a bigger cost penalty. See what the cost difference is and decide if it's worth paying, or if it's time to upgrade your home. Multiple stage HVAC has at least two stages, low and high and may have over 100 stages for modulating equipment. They are like having a gas pedal in your car versus an on-off switch. See the HVAC 101 chapter for more. It's important to note that a blast of heat or cold doesn't work well. Think how pleasant a shower is for getting wet versus having a bucket of water thrown at you. One is a steady, gentle wash of water at a temperature you've set while the other is a sharp blast to the face and body. The ice bucket challenge was not about comfort. Furnaces and air conditioners that are oversized are also not about comfort, particularly when they are single speed. Gradual heating or cooling is key for comfort, but only after fixing the air sealing and insulation. Otherwise, the HVAC may not be able to fully control mean radiant temperature. Several of our clients had awesome HVAC systems, but their homes were still cold in winter because their homes were leaky. You can learn more in the HVAC 101 and 102 chapters. With some upfront planning, you can substantially increase the chances of having a really comfortable home by controlling all of the conduction, convection, and radiation forms of heat movement. At the same time, the house will likely get healthier because there are fewer cold surfaces for mold to grow on and it will last longer because the air sealing reduced where humidity can creep in or out and it will probably cost less to heat or cool because it leaks less and has a smaller sized HVAC system that uses less energy. Everything is interrelated. Inset. Thermostats are lousy comfort indicators. Thermostats measure sensible heat. Sensible heat is basically the temperature of the air. It's frankly a pretty poor indicator of comfort because it ignores latent heat, which is humidity, and the 165,000 sensors in your body that detect mean radiant temperature. All of these must be in balance before you will be comfortable. There is typically only one thermostat in your home. Only a home that is in balance can effectively use a thermostat as a comfort indicator. If your home is out of balance, the thermostat will not be good at measuring your comfort. See the Home Comfort 102 chapter for a much deeper dive on what truly leads to a comfortable home once that is complete. Insulation and R-value. While air sealing is most important, it's still important to have effective insulation. Insulation is rated in R value, which is a measure of its resistance to heat. Note that insulation does not stop heat moving through it, it just slows it down. It's a linear scale, so R40 is twice as high as R20. R40 is not twice as effective though. How much insulation is effective? often less than you think. So page 41 is the R-value spectrum. And these R-values only matter uh, when they are achieved in air-sealed cavities. So a zero is no insulation, a one is what a single pane window is, a two is about what a double pane window is, or a single pane with a storm. Getting into the four and five range is about where triple-pane windows live. R5 to 6 is about what an uninsulated wall usually performs at. R6 or 7 is about one inch of closed-cell spray foam. R10 is about the average R value for a wall, a 2x4 wall, that has R13 insulation in it. R13 is typical fiberglass bat or rolled insulation for 2x4 studs. It's three and a half inches thick. R13 is also what the R-value of dense packed cellulose in walls uh, in a 2x4 wall is. R19 is uh, typical for fiberglass in 2x6 walls. It's five and a half inches thick. So at R20, that is the Department of Energy recommendation for wall insulation in most climates. It's also about where the diminishing returns begin. R30 was typical code for attic insulation from about 1980 to 2000 for most of the country. R-38 is current code for some of the country. Sometimes it's higher in other places. R-49 is 17 to 20 inches of blown insulation, and that is typical of the Department of Energy recommendation now. R-60 is the high end of the Department of Energy recommendation, and that is 20 to 22 inches of blown fiberglass or 16 to 18 inches of blown cellulose. the diminishing returns of more insulation. This is adapted from Alison Bale's Energy Vanguard blog. It's the effect of more insulation measured in Atlanta, Georgia. So this is a chart that shows how much heat flow there is versus how much R value. So as soon as you get to an R4, you've drastically reduced how much heat flow is coming through. And by the time you get to R12 or R14, the difference in how much heat transfers is getting negligible where you can't even see it. Allison Bales is a fellow building scientist who writes the excellent Energy Vanguard blog and specializes in new construction. This chart is adapted from his article, The Diminishing Returns of Adding More Insulation. Note how after R8 or R10, Very little energy is saved for each step up in R-value. Past R-20, the improvements are difficult to see. This makes intuitive sense if you think about it. Having a t-shirt and shorts on during a cold day is considerably warmer than being naked, but would have a low R-value. Stepping up to jeans and a sweater helps a bit more. Snow pants, gloves, hat, a parka, and boots will suffice in most cold weather. How often do you wear a second winter coat over the first? It sounds pretty silly. Pretty quickly, you hit the point of diminishing returns. The same thing goes for insulating your home. This is good news for existing homes because adding lots of R-value can be difficult and expensive. After filling up wall cavities, going further may be extremely expensive. This is where planning comes in. What are your goals and budget? What best meets both of them? More is not necessarily better. There's a chart here. It's thickness of closed cell spray foam versus thermal losses. This is adapted from Mike Jag of Jag Construction in Rochester, New York. So the vertical axis is heat transfer reduction and the horizontal axis is R value or thickness. So when you get to one inch of spray foam, this is closed cell spray foam, which is uh, about an R6 or an R7, that reduces heat transfer by 72%. So you're over halfway from one inch. If you go to two inch, you go from 72% up to 86%. From two inch to three inch, you get to 90%, reduction in heat transfer. And if you go all the way out to six inches, so double what the three inches, you go from 90 to 94%. So what we find is closed cell spray foam only needs to be about three inches thick, which is an R18 to an R21, to do a good job in many homes in many climates. Again, do some planning, double check. Closed cell spray foam is a great technology to use for existing homes, and it's covered in the insulation types chapter, which is not a free chapter. At only one inch, it reduces 72% of heat transfer, which is R6 to R7, depending on the manufacturer. At three inches thick, it stops about 90% of heat loss, which is an R18 to R21. We specify three and a half inch closed cell spray foam in many of our projects. This is because installers are allowed plus or minus one inch and we want to stay over two and a half inches thick. Spray foam continually shocks me at how well it performs at only a few inches thick. One client recently told me that there were no icicles at all around a spray foam section of his attic that used to develop very large icicles. All that said, spray foam is not a very nice product from a chemical perspective proper safety gear needs to be used, ventilation needs to be provided, and installers need to be well-trained. The point is that air leakage is still most important. More R-value is often a good idea, especially if you're considering inexpensive blown attic insulation. But please don't get too hung up on high R-values. Insulation can effectively deliver results with R13 to R20 in many climates that may be all that fits in your home. Your home performance specialist can help you do the math to see what is likely to get your home to the tipping point where you can solve problems and achieve a good result. Real world example. This is a Habitat for Humanity retrofit in Ravenna, Ohio. This is the inside of a Habitat for Humanity of Portage County home retrofit. The platform you can see there is a sleeping loft to maximize space usage like in a tiny house. This home has no more than three and a half inches of insulation anywhere, ranging from R15 to R25. We did this partly to break the rules and partly because we knew it would work. At the time of this picture, it's 720 square feet with a blower door reading of just over 400, resulting in a 0.6 to 1 CFM 50 to square foot ratio. That's not a lot of leakage. The whole home could be cooled with one small window air conditioner or heated with two space heaters if necessary. The home is all-electric using a heat pump in Cleveland and has continuous filtration, fresh air, and dehumidification systems. This type of work can even be done on a Habitat for Humanity budget with some creativity. You can read the whole series about this project at energysmartohio.com. So the photo, by the way, uh, shows what we jokingly called the Harry Potter uh, version. It was the main house had a vaulted ceiling or could be a vaulted ceiling. So we made it so we spray foamed up against the roof deck. So the main room of the house has a ceiling peak of about 11 feet. And it makes the space feel much bigger, just like one of the tents in the Harry Potter book series. Getting to 74 inches, the tipping point. Every house has an almost magical tipping point. All of a sudden, awesome things start happening. Problems are solved. Energy use falls off a cliff. Marriages are saved. Disasters from evil masterminds are averted. Okay, that last one might be hyperbole. My business partner and I say this magical tipping point happens at 74 inches. Why 74 inches? Because it's a little weird, and it tends to stick in the mind. I'll give some real-world examples of 74 inches shortly. We like thinking of this tipping point like trying to lift a large rock with a 100-inch board perched on a fulcrum like a seesaw at a playground. There's a little cartoon here of a fellow standing on that seesaw with a rock on one side, fulcrum in the middle, and he's on the other side trying to lift it. And he has his hands on his head because it's not working. This is 50 inches. You simply haven't gone far enough. You may have spent a bunch of money and time, but nothing noticeable has changed. It's common to feel defeated at this stage. Worse, you may need to pay to undo what you already did so you can do it well enough to achieve results. The second cartoon has the rock on the fulcrum at 74 inches. So now uh, the guy standing on the other side can actually lift the rock. At 74 inches, you can lift the rock. Life is good, problems are solved. Be careful though, one little mess up and you lose the battle. It's better to try and go a little further, so when you slip up, you still get to 74 inches. And the last figure has the fellow at, with the rock at 90 inches, and now he has so much leverage on it, he is throwing the rock off the board. When you're figuring out how far to go on your home, it's important that you don't just aim at 74 inches. Houses are tough. Surprises await you. We like to aim for about 80 inches and assume that we'll slip up somewhere but still hit that magical 74-inch mark, lift a rock, and solve client problems. Low-hanging fruit is poisoned, and the 74-inch antidote. Let's apply 74-inch thinking to how most people intuitively think efficiency improvements work. I put efficiency in quotes because these projects are almost always about comfort. And that's okay. The phrase low-hanging fruit usually pops up when talking about improving energy efficiency. Simply make a few easy changes to the house and big results arrive. Sadly, this is utterly false. Here's what low-hanging fruit thinking looks like. What we think happens, big results fast. So there's a chart here And the vertical axis is benefits or results. And the horizontal axis is improvements or money spent. And low-hanging fruit thinking leads you to believe that a few small changes can make large results. But the truth is the what actually happens piece, which has the same chart, but the first couple of things that you do don't make any difference at all. So the the first chunk of money you spend is not useful. Then all of a sudden things start happening fast and eventually they tail off and it doesn't help as much. That chart looks very much like an S. The truth is the curve on the right in our experience. Nothing happens until you get fairly deep into a project. Then the results start showing up fast. If you are reading this book, the odds are high you've tried a few half measures and found they delivered quarter results. You discovered what we call the gulf of disappointment. So when you put the low-hanging fruit thinking and reality curves against each other, you find where the gulf of disappointment is. It's where you expect big results with low-hanging fruit thinking, but the truth is you haven't gone far enough yet. That's a crappy place to live, and most jobs live there. Back when I did insulation contracting, a number of my projects failed to deliver good results. I didn't hear about many, since at the time we weren't tracking results. But the ones that I did hear about disturbed me greatly. Those failures led to a new business model, the development of these charts, and this book. You could say failure changed my life. It taught me that low-hanging fruit thinking is broken. Don't be fooled by it. If you truly want to solve problems in your home, you need to aim for getting beyond 74, which looks like this. And it's, again, the low-hanging fruit curve and the reality curve against each other. And where you want to get is, be- uh, is above where the low-hanging fruit curve is in what we call the sea of success. So avoid the gulf of disappointment and land in the sea of success. When you go far enough, you get to well up the blue curve, the reality curve, above the sea of success. The sea of success is the place to be. It happens when you get to the vertical part of the curve beyond where traditional thinking and reality intersect. In Energy Smart's process, we build three different packages for clients. We start with a very deep project that we don't expect to happen, which we call complete. Then start crossing off items to what we think is likely to solve the problem without going too crazy. We call this the sweet spot. And after that, we build a package to the client budget that we feel has a good likelihood of success. This is the budget package your home performance specialist will likely do something similar. In theory, they look like this, and it's the S-curve, again. So the budget package is somewhere on the vertical part of the S-curve, and it may get into the horizontal part, depending if you go far enough. The sweet spot is aiming for the inflection point, where doing more work doesn't deliver a lot more results and then there's complete, which is pretty far out there. Now remember this is all theoretical. We would encourage you to go one step further to ensure your desired results. Note that the budget package can vary where it falls on the curve. The goal is to at least get to where the curve goes vertical. I can't stress highly enough the importance of going far enough to get a real result. If you skimp, you may waste thousands of dollars and cause months or years of frustration. One of the best ways to boost confidence that you'll go vertical is to reduce the air leakage number on your home to gain control of air, heat, and moisture movements in and out of the house. At a minimum, do a really good job on either the top or bottom. That means you need to know specifically where the big leaks in your house are. This is best found with a blower door and infrared scan. The next page has an infrared photo of a window seat, but the air conditioning vents or HVAC vents right below the window seat is cold. This was taken in the winter time. So this floor vent by a window seat is cold, which means outside air is leaking into the duct somewhere. Without a blower door, this is nearly impossible to find. And yes, that's a toy giraffe. Air sealing and insulation can be inexpensive if you do it yourself. But you have to know what to seal first. Remember, air sealing must be carefully done and tested. Insulation must be installed properly as well to have the best result. See the Insulation Types chapter or the future air sealing guide for more. From that point, if there is money left over, spend it on the best HVAC system that fits your budget. Through it all, I strongly recommend working with a home performance specialist. Finding the 74 inch mark for your home is not an exact science. It lies in the tricky realm of probabilities and educated guesses. There are no guarantees, but a good home performance specialist can help deliver better odds by planning and watching the important but invisible details that make or break projects. That's the end of part two of Home Comfort 101 from the Home Comfort Book. You can also download this chapter at nate natethehousewhisperer.com. Join us in part three for the end of this chapter. Thanks for listening. I hope you found that interesting and educational, and hopefully it began to change how you think about houses. So that's the end of part two. Next up, we will tackle part three of Home Comfort 101. I'm Nate Adams. Thanks again to listening to the Service Business Mastery Podcast.